Two Guys Who Happen to Be Pastors is recorded in a dark um, wood-paneled office. Two Guys Who Happen to Be Pastors is not responsible for uh, your attitude or anything you take offense to. This is simply our honest opinions. And uh, nothing is forced, nothing is forged. It's just two guys trying to do the best that they can. So without further ado, it's Pastor Glenn and Pastor Matt, two guys who just happen to be pastors. Welcome into the podcast, everybody. It is Sunday, November the 21st. It's around 6, p- 6 p.m. in the evening. Um, at least here in central Indiana. I'm, I don't know what time it is where you are. and You know, if you happen to like our page and tell us where you are we'll be sure to mention what time it is there from episode to episode we'll pick somebody i think that's i think that's something we could do yeah i think so matt's kind of panicking because i'm just making stuff up here uh, <laughs> <laughs> what's he gonna do where's he going i don't know i don't have a script for this <laughs> i want to start off this evening with um a tale from the uh, crypt of purdue university so uh my sister-in-law works for Purdue. She's uh, one of the heads of transportation. Um, if you've recently paid like $60 to park in the parking garage during a sporting event there, um, you can address letters to her. I'm not going <laughs> to put her name on here. You can go find her. Um, but also, she runs the buses and things. But the point of this is that she is Purdue sold out Purdue. Well, brother-in-law is an engineer. He's made a lot of money with that Purdue degree. So, naturally, they raised their daughter to be very pro-Purdue. So much so that when she was an infant, she was taught that red was disgusting. (laughs) The color red was not to be tolerated in any form. And, in fact, I'm not sure, and there seems to be a little argument about who exactly started this, but someone implied to her that the color red was the color of puke. Oh, my. So we would be in restaurants and doing things where she would pop up and say, Hey, look, that guy's got puke all over him. (laughs) Um, Not embarrassing in the least. Um you can't get her to go into a section where there's red shirts or IU gear because she's just not quiet about it. She lets it go. She will tell people wearing IU stuff, hey, nice puke all over your shirt there. She is now uh, nearly 20 years old and a sophomore at Purdue and has changed very, very little. She will still (laughs) let you know. Um, So for those of you out there considering a future in a Purdue family, just remember... They start them young. So, tuck your children in at night. Remind them that all people are God's children. And that red is the color of puke. (laughs) I now turn it over to Pastor Matt Heath, who's going to take his hat off to just a precious moment here today. Go ahead, Pastor Matt. I'll tell you what, Glenn. I mean, first off, uh, if you've been tuning in, you know... Purdue won today. They played Villanova. Um, I think it was 63 to 61, I think was the score or something like Basketball that. Basketball team show would be pretty good. Yeah. 7 and 4 in football. Yeah. I mean, you can say what you want to. If you're an IU fan listening to this right now, I'm going to tell you right now. 
just go ahead and there's a seat over there in the corner for you, bud. That's Everybody your, else playing for second place. It, uh, pretty much, baby. Pretty much. Got tourney time coming up. It's a long ways away, but that road's going to be paved in black and gold, baby. Uh, if you can't tell, I'm a pretty good Purdue fan. Glenn married into it. I chose this life, as he did, but I... Let's, let's be honest. I didn't quite know what I was going to do. You deal with it, you deal with it. I mean, I'm not that bad. I mean, I don't mind red. I mean, I farm with red tractors, but even still, I prefer to wear my ball caps with a little bit of black and gold <laughs> I think we on. can all agree we hate green. Mmm... I'd agree with that. Baylor Bears, George Mason, whatever. What green? Just, just green. Yeah. So this week, our hats off to you moment. Uh, for those of you who don't know or don't know who I am or anything, I wear a ball cap pretty much ninety nine percent of the time. The only time I don't is when I'm in the pulpit, and also when I am asleep, basically. Or in the house or anything like that. Or at, if I'm sitting at the dinner table or something. Um, <clears throat> but um, every week I always there's always something I run across in my mind and I'm thinking, wow, that's a pretty neat... You know those wild newspaper articles that don't quite get national attention, but yet they still come across your Facebook feed or whatever? This one just caught me off guard. It's actually from our neighbors to the east from Ohio. And there was an article about a wild pig that had gotten loose and was lassoed by the sheriff's department out there. And I actually have the article, I believe, pulled up right here. And when I saw it, I could not legitimately believe that it was real. I was thinking, wait, no, 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 you're kidding me, right? No, this was a real deal. It was legitimately the craziest thing that had happened. Uh, yes, um... <coughs> Right here, officials were called to this were called to a disturbance, saying that a wild animal had broken loose. Upon arriving on the scene, they realized that it was not a wild animal, but a pig that had broken free from its containment area. Law officers were law officers responding quickly, grabbed rope and threw a lasso around it, catching not only the pig but the hearts of the townspeople. You know, I, I gotta say that is um, that's pretty uh, that's pretty good. I mean, I've I've lassoed a few cows in my day, but I've never known anybody to lasso a pig. So, to the officers out there who um, perform this heroic feat, my hat is off to you this week, my friends. Um, but I'll tell you what, my hat's off to you any day of the week, anyhow what you guys do for us. And now this week, we turn to our next segment, which is Stuff on Glenn's Shelf. As, is, as it's been mentioned, we record these in Glenn's office. And in Glenn's office, there's quite a few items that are f sitting on the shelves or uh, just, you know, pictures, things that he has accumulated through the years. And they all have a story. They all have a meaning to them. Like with a lot of us in our lives. But this week we're going to talk about something that actually uh, is going to pertain to a season that's coming up fairly shortly. So, Glenn, why don't you take it away for us? Yeah, we, uh, we're we pretty big uh, fans of olive wood, particularly Palestinian olive wood. 
around these parts. Uh, I sold Palestinian olive wood as a fundraiser for several years. Raised about fifteen thousand dollars before we were done, and uh, it's straight out of Palestine, straight from Bethlehem. So this is authentic, high quality stuff. But well, and as you can see, I have my walled off nativity, which is a protest piece. If you don't know. Uh, Palestine is completely walled off from the rest of the world, um, particularly on its borders from Israel. There are arguments about why that's a good thing. There are arguments about why that's a bad thing. But uh, I do have one that the artist made, one of the originals, that I'm very um, very intrigued by. I keep it on, in my office. But the one I want to talk about today is the one up on the uh, second shelf. And it has a ladder that goes up to a room above it and for those of you who don't know in turn of the millennium palestine israel roman empire whatever you want to call it um they didn't exactly have hilton's marriott's um h2s what, whatever trump taj mahal's whatever you want to throw so you're out saying there they did not leave a light <clears throat> on for them it could have been a Motel Shekel, but it certainly wasn't a Motel 6. Uh, essentially, as the story goes, if you go to the area where Jesus was born and where he's from, you will find that the houses from that era, there are still some standing. Um, most of them have, of course, been restored over the years, but... The Romans didn't exactly come down and just, you know, take a lance and knock every little building down. Mm -hmm. There have also been some that have been archaeologically uh, dug up and restored. So, the story with Mary and Joseph likely was... They came to Bethlehem. Bethlehem's full of people. Because it was the city of David, but it's not a particularly big city. It's not a big city now. Mm -hmm. And... What they probably found was they were knocking on the doors of relatives, anybody in the town, because there were Jewish laws that said you had to help your brother or sister out. If you're related to people in the town, if it's where you're from, people had to help you out. Well, they're looking for room for Mary to lie down and have this baby. It's about time. And Joseph is knocking on doors, and finally he comes to one, and he says, <coughs> Look, I need somewhere for her to lay down i think we're gonna have this baby and the guy says well you can you can hang out with the animals and the animals as the nativity set shows were actually under the house the house would be up on stilts that's not that crazy if you've ever been to the gulf coast you've seen this uh, yeah. and the animals the farm tools would all be located underneath the house so that nativity, I have been told by those who are from that region, is probably the most true-to-life looking nativity that there is. Because we don't have any documented evidence that there were hotels mm -hmm. at this time. We don't have documented evidence of just caves off in the distance. Um, likely, and I'm not going to say absolutely, I wasn't there and you weren't either, but likely, from what we've seen archaeologically, Mary and Joseph were likely staying at, and Jesus was likely born under a home in the Bethlehem area. Hmm. You can go to the Church of Nativity. It is the oldest church in Christendom. 
And you can see where they celebrate Jesus. I think it's one of the cooler, more authentic places that you can go to in all the world. Um, Because 300 years after Christ, the Emperor Constantine's mother went to Palestine and said, So where was Jesus born? And they all pointed to a Roman temple that was built over the spot because after a huge rebellion by the Jews under Bar Kokhba that cost the Romans a lot of soldiers, an entire legion at one point, the Romans tried to stamp out Judaism, Christianity. They just lumped them all together, but unwittingly perfectly preserved the area where Jesus was very much likely born. So they cleared that away. They found some stuff that, archaeologically speaking, um, led them to believe that Jesus had likely been born there. Same thing happened with the Church of the Holy Sepulchre that's on the tomb of Jesus and the rock quarry where he was crucified. So, you know, where was Jesus crucified? Well, up there. And there's the Roman temple where they tried to snuff it out, but they accidentally preserved it for, you know, a few generations down the road. So... (coughs) <coughs> excuse me heavens choking on my own uh, life there I think well, yeah, he's trying think to get so. out yeah um, that's a fine they're going to have to pay a dollar for that one um, to quote the Dan Levitard show um, I like getting the things from Palestine because they're, they're so very authentic whether we believe it or not those people are from there they've heard the traditions orally, they date back to the earliest days. These are the original Christians. So, uh, yeah, that's one of my real prized possessions is my first century style house nativity is what it was called on the rack I got it off of. So There you go. So now we're going to throw it back over to Pastor Matt from the pulpit to the person. And I believe we're going to touch on church dissension now. Just so you know, yesterday we made pumpkin bread for a youth group fundraiser, and my father and I uh, played the Mississippi Squirrel Revival, so uh, I wonder what kind of trouble we're going to get into here with Pastor Matt, so take her away. Oh, I don't know. I mean, you know, trouble in the church, I mean, dissension in the church, I mean, it's kind of a, I mean, it's a topic that we really don't talk about, that people don't really think about too much, because, you know, it's great to have people involved. It's great to have people who want to, you know, jump in with both feet and everything like that. But I think all too often, and it, it happens, it happens a lot, where folks jump in, they want to, you know, be involved, and then they start, they don't realize this is going to take a lot more time than you think. It's a weekly commitment. It's a monthly commitment. It's a, um, you know, it's it's going to eat up a lot of your hours. <coughs> now Glenn's got me doing it. I don't know what's going on. Catchy. It is, it is. But, I mean, I, granted, like I've said, I've only been in ministry a little over a year and a half now. And, uh, you know, it, it's been really... Um, it has been interesting to kind of see, uh, excuse me, now I've got hiccups. Uh, it's interesting to see kind of, you know, when you start stepping behind the curtain and you look and see all the inner workings of it. And, you know, I, it's really tough 
from what my experience, it is really tough to have somebody say on Sunday, you know what, let me know when you're going to have this. Let me know when you're going to do that, and I'll be there. And you make the call to form to be there, and all of a sudden, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, well, you know, I had something pop up on that. I had, uh, you know, I've got this, whatever. And we get it. Life happens. Life comes up. Um, you know, is it a good excuse or everything? Well, for the most part, I mean, it depends on if, you know, if you've got kids sick, if you've got family members sick or whatever, or, um, you know, just, you know, have your wrecked car, whatever. There are certain things that you understand, but if you're staying home because the culture plan, well, I don't want to, you know, can't really come out because, you know, I got to watch... I'm going to feel stupid asking this. Who's the quarterback of the Colts now? Carson Wentz? Young man named Carson Wentz. Okay. The guy that uh, hurt his foot walking in the parking lot during spring training or uh, summer training? I thought it was getting up there. Hmm. I'll tell you what. I, I, I sympathize. I've got foot problems. So <laughs> not going to be too hard on Carson. Well, but there's a little bit of a difference, though. I mean, this guy's supposed to be in the peak physical shape of his life. And the Colts have just literally signed and spent, I don't know how many. Well, know, let's be careful. He is a quarterback. He is a quarterback. exactly. Well, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> but, I mean. And Tom Brady's 45. So like, well, look at you know Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, he's, what, 41, I think, 42. He's, he's getting up there. But I, mm. I, I will tell you the truth, I, and this is not original to me. This is a Bill Burr story, but. Uh, he said that Tom Brady looks like he is in peak physical condition until he throws an interception. Because when he tries to make a tackle, he kind of looks like if you threw a body out of a CSI van. <laughs> so, so we got to be careful on the peak physical condition. Well, I guess, I guess. But, uh, you know, it's, it's tough to see. And if you're the leader of the committee or if you're, all, you know, if you're supposed to be chairing this event or whatever... You know, you can kind of harbor those, but the thing about it is, you're still just a member of the congregation. If you're the guy who's in the seat, if you're the guy standing behind the pulpit every single Sunday, and you have this, when you have, you know, when you start to see people not getting along and people arguing about, well, I thought you were going to help with this. Well, I, you know, I was going to, and things came up, and then there's starting to be strife go on in, in the in the uh, congregation, it's tough because people will want you to take sides on it. And the, pro- the, fa- the fact of the matter is, we can't. I mean, we can, the only thing that we can really offer is guidance at some point, you know, in some form. And, you know, we always have to be careful that it is rooted, rooted in, you know, biblical, in biblical scripture and, you know, uh, Christian knowledge, things like that. I mean, you you really have to be careful of that. And like I said, I've worked. I'm actually um, working at my second church now. Uh, first time as a head pastor, but this is actually my second um, church family I've worked with. Um, and <clears throat> I, uh, you know, kind of, as kind of a guy who's in a a little a leadership role, and that role has continued to grow from the first to the second place. You know, it, it is hard to. Um, it's hard after a while; it'll grind you down to a point where you start wondering, 
why are we, why am I even, why is this even a thing? Why is this even, why are we still, why are we actually discussing this? I mean, why, you know, why is this a thing? I mean, that's, that's kind of where I'm, I'm at. And there was a couple times at my first, at the first appointment I had, where it was very much, you know, people were mad about this, arguing about that. And it's like, okay, I understand why you're mad, but what do you want? I mean, what can we do to fix it? What can we do to kind of work through it? And to be honest, people, people like being in that space. Because it means that they're, they think they're sticking to their guns, they stick into their thing, and I mean, we should. But on the flip side of the coin, you also have to be a, keep in mind that the per, people you're working with, the people that you're trying to do ministry with, are your brothers and sisters in Christ. And, you know, I, I, I personally, at, my, at the church I'm at, I haven't experienced anything. Is there nitpicky things that go on that, you know, people argue about or have issues with or anything? Sure. I mean, that's just that's just common thing because everybody has their own opinion. Everybody has their own take on things, how things should be done. Um, but the problem, the prob there, problem therein lies, um, if you're stuck in that root right there, if you're rooted in that one mindset, and somebody comes along with something that's going to fix the problem, you got to be willing to listen to it, even if you're the pastor. I don't care. I mean, if you've got an idea about how things should be run, and somebody comes up and and has an idea that is going to make it better. Well, you're going to have to approach it with the mindset that, you know, let's kind of talk through it, kind of look at all the angles and see if it actually is going to work, and then kind of embrace it and merge the two ideas. So, you know, there is a way to kind of work through it, but I mean it. And the problem is, it may be a big problem. Or it may not be that big a problem, excuse me. But the, the thing about it is, it can grow into a point where it will literally tear a church apart at its seams. And I haven't had a chance to really see this too much. But, I mean, you see all across, the, you know, all across this nation, churches are closing for one or two reasons. One or two or three reasons, I should say. And I'll bet at the heart of it, if you look at the reason why, you probably wouldn't like the answer about why... It's why they are closing. And we've talked about, you know, church involvement and things like that in the past, but I really think if a church is struggling, I think that the first things first, you need to go back and look and see what is, what's the reason why you're struggling? Why are you facing that struggle? Glenn, you got anything on that? I do. Um... With a little more seasoning and about a half a dozen churches under my belt. There you uh, go. See? I will tell you that churches are destroyed by the little things. Mm-hmm. Um, I have never been a part of a church that faced a major, major, and again, I'm saying me. I'm not saying this has never happened. Major, major issue. Like... Somebody had an affair. Somebody stole a bunch of money. Somebody, usually in those situations, churches will 
circle the wagons, they'll tough it out. It kind of sorts itself and, out. And you'll, yeah. you'll have a kind of rebirth moment. But because Sally didn't get her way on how many hymns you're going to have on Sunday, Sally is angry. Mm-hmm. It doesn't get addressed. She goes to Bill, her husband. Bill tells Barb and Jeff down the street who sit by him in church, and pretty soon you've got an entire row People that just want to kill you, <laughs> yeah. and I—I I wish I could laugh, but I've—I mean, I've seen it. Oh, and sure, yeah. It's always the little things that destroy a church, and the reason it's the little things that destroy a church, is the little things are the things people don't get their way on, and whether we want to admit it or not, it's fine. It doesn't matter how you think about it. It's the truth. Human beings are selfish creatures. We want to get our way, when, especially when we think we're right. Sure. And if you want to have four hymns in a service and we're only having two, you will lose your ever-loving mind. Every week you are reminded they mm-hmm. picked that over what I wanted. And people just start, That's why you've got the first, second, and third Baptist church, you know, in Birmingham. Because... Mm-hmm. The first one they split off, the second one they split off, you're fixing to have a fourth. And it doesn't matter what it is. It could be because 35 years ago, little Sally Smith didn't get the part of Mary in the play, and then they went down to the Presbyterian Church, and Jerry got tired of his kid being a sheep every year, so now they're down. Again, these are the things that your church is a part. Right. You constantly have to tell yourself. And this was a rule that was given to me by Frank Beard. I'll do my best. Frank Beard is a bishop in the United Methodist Church. He was a DS of mine many years ago. Before that, he spoke at a camp, that the camp that I was actually called to ministry at. His rule always was, does this stop us from being able to do effective ministry? You know, you're sitting with your pastor, parish council, your admin board, whoever oversees your pastor. He would ask this question. Will this stop this church from doing effective ministry? If the answer is yes, we have to move forward. If the answer is no, check your attitude at the door, realize your church is doing good things, and find a way to get past it. Now, if the answer is yes, and you got to take somebody onto the griddle, that's one thing. Yeah. But, you know, I've, I've always told people, if I need... To be suitably chastened, or if I need a, a pretty heavy butt chewing, I'll take it. Yeah. If I don't, and you're just upset about a decision that 75% of the church went with, I have a hard time feeling bad about that. And I know it hurts feelings, and that's why there are a billion churches. You can go to a different one. I tell people all the time, if you take part in actively destroying a church, you are doing the work of the devil. I don't care what you think about it. It doesn't matter what you think about it. If you are actively trying to tear a church apart, you are doing the work of the devil, knowingly or unknowingly. And I encourage anyone out there who hears that and may be confused by it or have more more questions about it, read the book of Jude. It's not hard to find. It's right before Revelation. So if you go back to the Revelation of John at the end of your Bible and start working your way back, you'll find Jude. It's only about 18 verses. I hate asking people to read stuff because people have done that to me my whole life. Well, have you read this by this guy or this by this guy? I'm like, yeah, no, and I'm I'm not going to. Yeah. So you can give me the cliff notes if you want, but I'm, I'm not doing any of that. <coughs> but I always try to tell people, 
if you see a closed church, there is no way around it. A closed church to me communicates that people gave up, whatever the reason was. And it could be something as innocent as there just wasn't a mission left to do. There wasn't enough people left to do it. But I would tell you, somewhere along the way, that church had a mission. That church had enough money to get a building. That church had enough money to get a charter. It very well could have been because people didn't want to give up leadership positions. People didn't want to train people to do the work that needed to be done in the church. And pretty soon, those people go to other churches or they quit going to church at all. And you look around, you're like, where'd everybody go? Well... I'm going to say something here that I wasn't expecting to say tonight, and you will hear me say it again. But um, I want to make this very clear, and it's it's a message I've given at every church, including the one I'm at now. And I speak very highly of the church I am at now because it's probably the best church I've ever pastored, but it, I, it's been said here, and I will say it in, probably a thousand more times before my ministry is done. And I'm blanking on it now because I did too much buildup. But uh, we've got it. Essentially, if your only reason for existing is to make your church bigger, stop having church. Mm -hmm. just, just stop having church. Right, yeah. Because the church should not live to serve you. The church should live to serve Jesus Christ. And if you want people to fill your coffers and you want people to fill your pews and you're not really sure what you're going to do beyond that, don't do it. What's the point? Don't, yeah. what it, yeah. I mean, you have to become so active in your community that even your community, people aren't coming to your church, are so concerned with what you're doing that they would support your church to make sure it didn't go away. You have to become part of the fabric of your community. You have to become part of the fabric of the kingdom of God. And if you don't get your way on something, or your church isn't growing the way that you want it to, or your church has a pastor that you're just not a big fan of, all of those things you are allowed to think. Mm -hmm. But if you actively participate in ripping at the seams of that church, you are doing the work of Satan. And if you catch yourself... Repent and stop. Work to get a new pastor. Talk to your district superintendent. Talk to your pastor, parish chair. Talk to your admin board, whoever. Not a big fan of our direction. I would like to see us go in a different direction. And if they're not willing to do that, I'm t I'm I'm endorsing this. I'm leaning into the microphone. Oh, go somewhere else. Do not tear the fabric of that church. It's not going to do anybody any good. Okay? These are some harsh things. But look, I've been a pastor for almost 20 years. I've been going to church for 36 years. And that's all of them. Yeah. Born on Saturday and church on Sunday. I'm telling you, don't destroy the church because you don't like what it's doing. You can go somewhere else. And I know a lot of people might say, well, but this is my church. If you are that against what they're doing that you would be willing to tear it down and sink it, it's not your church. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's not being your church the minute you start thinking that. And a lot of people don't want to go along with that because they've been a leader in their church for 50, 60 years and you know what's best for your church. Well, that's fine.
But if the pastor and the counselor are going in a different direction, you can go somewhere else. I'm empowering you to think about that. Don't don't tear at it. And if they're not doing the right thing, they'll find out soon enough. And if they're not listening to you and you feel like you are a messenger from God trying to tell them you've planted the seeds, move on down the line. Just as much as sometimes pastors need to move and get a different direction or get a change of scenery, sometimes laity do too. We don't we don't like to think about it. Mm-hmm. And well, how could I leave this church? Well, you can. Mm-hmm. And you can find a church that's more suitable to what you want to do. Because as many of them are closing, folks, there are churches out there thriving right now. Yeah. Don't make it about you. It's not about you. And that's the glove that Satan fits into. Well, I think we've talked about this before. I know I preached on it recently. In Genesis 3, the serpent does not say, well, if you bow down and worship me, I'll tell you everything you want to know. He encourages it them, 80s wrestling alert, he encourages them to go into business for themselves. Do you like that? Do you like that that's transition? Di- that's digging, bit, digging deep now. Well, going into business for yourself means you just take over the situation. What the serpent tells Eve is, well, if you eat that, you'll become like God. That's why God doesn't want you to eat it. Because he knows you'll be like him. The devil will never ask you to bow down and worship him. He will ask you to turn away from God and go into business for yourself. And if you've done that, repent and please go somewhere else. All right, I've dragged that out hey, enough. You have. Well, I've got. And I. And I would never. I never discourage any. You know, if we get on tang, we get on tangents on this show a lot. But I mean, the thing about it is, they're coming from a good place, and and you may be wondering, like, how does this tie in from pulpit to the person? These are things that we as pastors, it's something we keep in the back of our minds. I mean. If you have, I mean, if you have people, when you come to a church, and I have seen it, I saw it in um, my wife's church uh, when we started dating. They were right, when we started dating, they got a new, pa- they were getting a new pastor within, oh, about a year or so after I started dating her. And uh, actually, one of our first dates was going to church, believe it or not. Best way to go. It is. Good foundation. Married six years, five years. She's going to kill me if she ever listens to this. Got that wrong. And uh, got a beautiful daughter. So obviously we did something right to start with. But uh, in that moment, you know, there were people who had been coming to church when the pastor left and they got a new one. The fir- you And you've seen it and I've seen it. The first couple Sundays... The new pastor, people are going to come and they're going to watch him because they want to find out what he is, what he, what he or she is about. What you know, what's her style? They're going to make me laugh. Like, am I going to cry? Are they going to yell at me? Whatever. And the thing about it is, it's almost like it's everybody shifting from the left to the right because there are people who had been coming under the old pastor who liked them. And the new guy comes, and he's a complete 180 of what the old person was. They're going to quit coming. They're going to go to another church. They're going to start, you know, they might come a couple times a year or maybe once a month, but they're not going to be nearly as involved as they used to be. Where, And then on the other hand, you've got the crew who weren't coming under the old pastor who are now going to start coming because it's somebody fresh. It's somebody they can actually get behind. 
And it's a constant back and forth. And as a pastor, at least with me, and I'm Glenn, I'm sure you have dealt with it, you're constantly wondering the first couple Sundays, you're thinking, man, this is a pretty good sized congregation. You know, hey, I'm glad everybody's, you know, it's kind of a renewal, it's a revival. And then, like a month into it, you're right back down to where the numbers were before you came, although you've got a lot of faces in the crowd that are different, apparently. That hadn't been, oh, we haven't been to church in so long. And and it's one of those things, you you know, for me especially coming in fresh, you know, I'm always trying to figure out is what am I, is, did I say something in those first couple weeks that irritated somebody, that irritated this crew, this, you know, this group of people or whatever. And, you know, you drive yourself up a wall thinking about that and worrying about it. And the fact of the matter is, if they are coming, like you said, if they are coming because it is on their heart, because it is what God and it's what God has called us to worship Him in His house, we come together as a body of Christ in that setting. Doesn't matter if you've only got two or if you've got two hundred and twenty-two. You're doing the right thing. But, and that looks great to the people out there in the pulpit, or the, the pulpit, the pews. From the pulpit, it's a constant thing. And we, I know we shouldn't worry about, atten- I mean, attendance numbers too much. I mean, we do, we should to a point, um, but for the right reasons. Not about, well, the offering's going to be down. And, you know, we're not going to have enough help to set up chairs and all this stuff. I'm worried about if I've only got five people in the pulp, in the pew that week, what happened to the other thirty that I had last week? Why aren't that? What's going on here? What's you know? And you just kind of drive yourself up a wall. So as we've always said, well, we've we've talked about on this one quite a bit, but it's it is something that definitely it's a thing, and it's a real thing that we as pastors and whoever is out there listening to this, your pastor, just like us, are normal people, are regular guys. The only difference between you and them is the simple fact that they are listening to what God has put on their heart and they're getting up there and proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ before the people they know, before the community that is having them. That's the difference. I mean, I hate to, I mean, people don't like to boil things down to the simple form, but I think in this instance, I think we've kind of forgotten that. And that's the point of this whole segment right here is from. Um, from the pulpit to the person. And we're going to keep going about uh, talking more and more about how we're just normal people and how we have things that worry about, you know, the things that we worry about, things that we carry in our hearts. Um, just because we decide to don, I'm going to use kind of a, a different reference. Neither We're not, neither one of us preaching or um, not uh Catholic priests or anything, but when we decide to don the collar, as it were, or to uh, wear the robes, I guess, um, you know, it doesn't automatically mean that everything that we struggle with or anything falls to the side. It doesn't. So, enough on that. Well, slide around here. Let's, let's finish up that thought finish here. Finish it so, up a little bit. Um, yeah, as... Um, Amanda Pyle, the principal at Easter Hancock Elementary, would say, there is no magic switch. 
some people just handle right. certain situations. Um, you know, pastors are people who are called. And one of the most important sermons I've ever heard was a pastor actually at another summer camp said, you know, we need good Christian lawyers. We need good mm. Christian doctors. We need good Christian bankers. Not everybody's called to ministry, and it doesn't sure. make us any more special than anybody else. It's it's a vocation. We are leading a church. And just to finish up that topic, um, let me give some encouragement, uh, some empowerment here. If there's something not happening at your church that you really wish would, um, I'm going to go ahead and empower you. You can go ahead and do it and make it happen because a lot of times things don't get done at a church just because no one's got that calling. You know, if you go to your pastor and you say, you know, pastor, I sure would, I sure would like to see another Sunday school class. <coughs> Start it. Well, if your pastor's got five kids and another job he does during the week and doing visitations and uh, is doing paperwork and counting, you know, collections and things during Sunday school, your pastor may not be interested in teaching that class. You could take the initiative. You can write it up. Pastor would love to help you. You don't necessarily have to come and go, but it's, it's not so much about big things. It's those little things. Don't let those little things tear you apart. So, Remember, the church is the bride of Christ. If we love Christ, we got to love our church. So do your part to make sure that the church moves on. And give other people opportunities to lead, empower, and equip. That is the job of a pastor and church leadership. So, all right, we spent a ton of time on that. Let's, let's move along here. Like I said, every once in a while we'll get on a good tangent, but and this week we did. So now we come to the segment where we talk about random crap straight off the rack. And Glenn always writes notes for me. Do they always make sense? About 90% of the time. This week well, that's he... A high, that's a high percentage. Well, you know. I, I mean, I might text him and ask him, hey, what did you mean on this? What did you But this week he wrote, Burning Stores. And I'm curious to see what he meant when he said burning stores. Glenn, what, what exactly did you mean? Well, my message this week, um, typically Thanksgiving, I share some stories about Black Friday. I'm not a Black Friday person. My wife is. And I've gotten a kick out of the last 11, 12 years that we've been together just telling really messed up stories about Black Friday. Well, this year... Um, on Christ the King Sunday, which is the last Sunday before Advent, which was this morning, I felt the urging, the calling to talk about meeting people where they were, making sure your life is communicating who God is, who is God really to you, because you want to make sure your actions meet your words. And I didn't get into that that much, and I had a feeling that would be the case, so I'm going to take the opportunity this week to share with you my absolute favorite thus far, there's still plenty of time, plenty of room, mm -hmm. thus far my favorite Black Friday story, and I believe this also took place in Ohio, oh. which should be fun. Um, it was out of a newspaper, 
and it was quoted at an Indiana Wesleyan uh, chapel service, and I later got a copy of the news article, which I gave back and do not have, but this apparently took place. So the newspaper article cited that the fire department was called to a local J.C. Penney store, which had caught fire the morning of Black Friday, about 5.30 in the morning. And as the firefighters took maneuvers and positions to put the fire out, the police department was called to come and gain control of the situation because people would not leave the store. They would not leave the store because sweaters were on sale or such for 25% off. And I don't care that the back of my shirt is on fire. I'm not losing my place in line. (laughs) So, Black Friday puzzles me. You get 30% off a television. And you're straight up willing to have a medieval style joust with someone to get that television. When all you have to do is go catch them on the clearance rack and you can get you an or a floor model, <laughs> you can get you a nice TV. But at a J.C. Penney in Ohio, the police department was called by the fire department because people would not step out of line at the cash register <laughs> at the J.C. Penney. <laughs> Folks, during Christmas... I want to encourage you to shop for your friends and family. For heaven's sakes, get them something nice. I really mean it. Put your Christmas tree up in October. I don't care. Decorate your lights. Run that power bill up. Do what you got to do to celebrate this season. But Jesus does not want you to become dust. In an effort to make sure your daughter Kelly gets a nice IU sweatshirt. (laughs) If the store is on fire to the point where they're not going to put it out with a fire extinguisher, they had to call the fire department, Mm -hmm. it's okay to exit the store. It'll be there when you come back. And if if it's not charred or burnt away, yeah, you might get in a fist fight with Douglas to get a handle on that shirt. But... Remember this is the season where we celebrate God giving us salvation. Salvation coming into the world through Jesus Christ. That sweater is not worth your life. And it is not worth a night in the pokey when you tell a cop, I am not losing my spot in line, Officer Ken. Because I promise you, Officer Ken will ensure that you do. And he may ensure that you never get to go back to that J.C. Penny again. <laughs> Friends, remember what we're celebrating. And remember, you could get a sweater anywhere. You can't always restore that skin that burns off as you await the <clears throat> cash register in the burning J.C. Penny. So... Just just a second here. We missed it earlier. Just a second here. Um, hats off to the folks at the J.C. Penny, Ohio. <laughs> I, 
Well, now to someone that we truly despise. Uh, Matt, what's going on in the world of farming right now? How is Harry? You know, Glenn, <coughs> I like you. I like you a lot. I appreciate that. We talk about a lot of things. We mention things that we share. I figured you'd be enough of a friend the week of Thanksgiving, the week that I am going to gorge myself and darn near put myself into a carbohydrate-induced coma on Thursday this week. Because in reality, when you're, I'm a bigger guy, as you know, this is the one, one of the weeks that I look forward to the most of the year. And you have to taint it with bringing up that man. Well, let's let's be let's be honest here. I don't know what Harry did, and I look forward to the day that I find out. But um, to be fair, uh, my mother's side of the family had theirs today, and um, I'm not real sure we're here actually doing this right now, or if I'm laying on the floor of her house shaking. So I'll have to get you to cut me some credit on that. <laughs> well, Harry aside. <clears throat> this week, actually, Harry did stop by the house. Was asking me if I <clears throat> if I had seen a uh, roll of chain that he had had in the back of his truck, a chain that runs an auger or a elevator. And I said, "No, I don't think I have." And he left because he knew what he had. He knows what he's done. Harry, I still remember. I have not seen your chain, but I have seen what you can do. Anyhow, let's move on from there. This week in the harvest in the uh, farm report, harvest is starting to wind down quite a bit around here and here in central Indiana, east central Indiana, I should say. A lot Cher of cherries, moors, and troys all done. See, everybody, all the big guys are getting done. Even the little guys are starting to get done. Um, I did kind of feel bad for a guy. Um, I was driving the bus this week, and uh, he was showing corn. There's a field that's been out for a little while, and uh, I kept. I kind of looked at him. I didn't have any kids on the bus or anything. I dropped my last student off, and I was driving. And I saw his wheels turn pretty quick, but he wasn't going very quick. He had hit a slag of mud, and uh, was having to like back up and try to run it through and everything. And I felt bad for the guy. Um, because in the old days, <clears throat> Thanksgiving was kind of your measure about how you were doing with harvest. If everything was done before Thanksgiving, you were doing good. But if you weren't, that meant that you came in for Thanksgiving dinner, then you went back out and you started picking corn, and you went until dark. So, unfor unfortunately, we're kind of past those days a little bit. Depends on the season, year to year. Uh, I think majority of the guys should be done this week. We had a pretty good rain today, and we're supposed to get more rain, I think, Tuesday and on Thanksgiving Day itself. Um, so, guys, if you're listening to this out there and you're still plugging away out in the fields, I um, want to know I'm thinking of you, praying for you. Hopefully you guys uh, have good success like I did and a lot of other guys did. Um, and hey, look at it this way. You guys are pretty smart because the market's come up about 30 to 40 cents higher than when I sold grain. So enjoy counting that money, boys.
And now <clears throat> we come to a segment where we talk about what our wives have to look forward to. Or rather, what Glenn's wife has to look forward to. As we know, Glenn is basically the carbon copy of his father. Whether he wants to admit it, I mean, I mean, it's kind of spooky to be honest with you. And uh, you know, it's one of those things that just kind of whether whether men want to admit it or not, we become um, we become like our dads in some form or another. This week, we're going to talk about Glenn's father and a rototiller story. This, I am dying to hear. He has alluded to it, but has not shared any details. Glenn, take us there. All right, well, first of all, an update from uh, from last week when I talked about my dad getting my six-year-old niece suspended from kindergarten. Um, you know, I don't always uh, have things to look forward to. There are some things Lauren's dealing with now. And one of those things is, is um, if you don't know, I'm bivocational. I don't know how much I've mentioned that on here. Um, I am a licensed teacher here in the state of Indiana, and from time to time I pick up contracts. It's not something I do year to year, you know, teaching fifth grade at Eastern or whatever. Um, I've taught the last week, and I'll teach next week at, at Eastern. Um, the month of December I'll actually be teaching in Morristown, which oh. is a new development. Um, so from time to time I'm working with children and, uh, much like my father, that's probably not a good idea. Um, so Friday we play a game at the school, a modified version of the game mafia, which is a game we like Mm -hmm. to play here at Willow, Willow branch and I'm at this church with our youth group. It's a popular game from our childhoods. And the kids at Eastern love it. In fact, uh, Debbie Froman told me this week that her kids just beg her every day. <laughs> she said, nope, that's Mr. Davis's thing. If he if he's not here, y'all can play something else. So um, so during this game of, of Mafia, I was feeling a little chipper. And um, as the children were playing, um, I would just kind of walk up to the child who had been chosen to be done away with by mm-hmm. the mafioso. And I would just stick my hand out to fist bump them. And when they fist bumped me, I would say stabby. (laughs) And they knew that they were the one that went down. So as we were walking out to the buses, I hear five or six children gleefully running to the bus, punching at each other, going stabby, 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 (laughs) stabby. So I want you to know that uh, I'm looking forward to hearing about what becomes of that, and uh, I'll lean into it. I once walked into the office and, and told the aforementioned Amanda Pyle, you're going to hear a lot of rumors today about me shutting a kid in the door. I want you to know that these rumors are all true, and I apologize. <laughs> Sometimes the windows are tinted, and I don't know how many kids are in the back seat. I'm sorry. <laughs> all right? So... Just so everyone out there knows, and I'm being fair, um, not only am I turning into my father, in a lot of ways, I am my father. Uh, so, I pick on him from time to time. But oh my, the stories that he could tell about me. So, just keep that in mind. So, the Rototiller story is one of the true legends of, of Tom Davis. Um, so, he, it goes like this. My father... 
for the majority of my life, was the smartest, hardest working person I ever met. Uh, my dad was born into abject poverty. He was one of six children. He was drafted to Vietnam. He survived that, came back much better. He was an electrical engineer. Uh, but as he is retired and he is not around the professional world, um, he makes some insane decisions from time to time. One of those decisions was my mother said she wanted a little more room in her garden. My mother has a garden. It has been a garden since before we know when. Um, my, it was actually my dad's side of the family's property. That corner of their yard has been the garden for approximately the time of Lena Korn, who is my father's great-grandmother. So we're talking 120, 130 years at least that that piece of ground has been the garden. Well, my mother wanted a couple new rows. Not a big deal. Mm -hmm. My dad has American-made rototiller, Briggs and Stratton. He fires it up, and he's going to go at it. There are immediately two problems I discovered as I was visiting this day as I pull up and see him getting the rototiller out. I went up to the porch and asked my mother, what, what's he doing? He's going to put a couple rows on the garden. I said, um, why is he doing it now? She said, I don't know. He told me he was going to do it, and I've spent the last 20 minutes trying to talk him out of it. So the case is, folks, the two major concerns we have is, one, he is aiming the rototiller in the wrong direction. Uh, it would have been a lot easier just to go parallel to what was already there. Instead, he starts going perpendicular. And the second thing is, it was February and it was 30 degrees outside. Oh, my. I'm not making this up. <laughs> So I went out and I said, uh, much in the way that a Bobby Hill or a Bart Simpson would say, um, Dad, what are you doing? He said, well, your mother wants a couple rows on the garden. I said, I'm sure she does. You are aware the ground is very hard right now, right? He said, ah, this will cut through it. This is good American-made machinery here. I said, uh, I don't agree with you. I don't agree with this. But I'm going to go inside and pretend you're not doing it. So, uh, good luck. My dad's dog, who unfortunately just passed away a couple weeks ago, walked inside with me because he didn't want any part of it either. <laughs> so my dad kicks it on, and he cut, I, Matt, if I'm lying, I'm dying, he cut probably 40 more feet. Good night! And just as wide as the garden was. He didn't put a couple rows on it. He dug up like a quarter of, I'm not making this up, like a quarter of the yard. And he's finishing up. He's got about one more row to go. And I heard a, just like that. Oh. I heard it in the house with the television on. My mother comes around the corner and said, did you hear that? I said, I sure did. We better go see what it is. Well, what had happened was the rototiller blades had blown off the side of the rototiller because it was 30 degrees and the ground was hard. The top part of the rototiller that was guiding blew out of Dad's hands. The entire rototiller breaks into a million pieces. But that Briggs and Stratton motor was still running. 
My father went up, kicked it, and it was still running. I said to him, how are you going to get that to stop? He said, I don't know. So finally, he gets the idea to pull the spark plug out, and he finally got it to stop. So not only did my mother have about seven new gardens worth of dirt, my dad also had to go to Harbor Freight (laughs) and purchase a new rototiller. (laughs) Now, the story, if I ended there, is a legendary story. It doesn't end there. (laughs) My father has a Chevy Cruze. My mother has a Ford Focus station wagon because my mother loves station wagons. When I was a very little kid, the first car that they had after I was born was a Subaru Outback hatchback. She likes station wagons. So she says, well, let's take the Focus in case you want to buy one. (coughs) Excuse me. He says, I'm not going to buy anything today. Let's just go on the cruise. So I get over there. I've gone home by this point. My mother calls me and says, your dad's buying a rototiller. I said, well, I thought you were just looking, but I could have told you he was going to buy one. She says, "Uh, yeah, but we don't have the focus. She says, how close are you to home? I said, pretty close. Do you want me to come back? And she said, oh, hold on. I'll call you back. She didn't call me back for two hours. This is what happened in the two hours between that phone call and the next phone call. My father bought the rototiller. My mother encouraged him to drive home, get the Focus, have them hold the rototiller. It's paid for. Mm-hmm. They would come back with the Focus, load it into the station wagon, and drive it home. Now, my father starts shopping for other things. He comes back with this huge canister of bungee cords. Okay, hang on. I had to ask. Was it pre-assembled or was it in a box? Oh, no. It's put together. Oh, Lord. So, and again, remember, I will occasionally tell you stories about myself that show that the apple did not fall far from the tree. (laughs) (laughs) I've never done anything quite like this. So, he goes and buys the bungee cords. And he rolls this rototiller out to the car. Now, the young boy working at the store says, Mr. Davis, would you like some help with that? And Dad says, nah, I got it. Because my dad's still 30 and can do anything. (laughs) So, he puts this rototiller on top of the trunk. He doesn't even put it in the trunk. On the trunk. And bungee cords this bad boy through the trunk to the back seat, locks it all in place. It's not going to move. They drive home with this rototiller bungee corded to the back of the car. When they arrive home, my mother says, now hold on a second, let me call Kyle or get Glenn back up here to help you with this. Says, now we'll be fine, starts pulling bungee cords, the rototiller falls and one of the wheels lands on my mother's foot. She's now hopping, desperately trying to get to the ground to see if she's broken her foot or whatnot. My dad comes around the corner and goes, what's your problem? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Something that my mother still talks about <laughs> to this day. 
And my father had himself a new rototiller, had himself a football field-sized garden that my mother never used and has grown over. Mm-hmm. And now the legacy is, what's wrong with you? Well, we could start at the top or I could just growl and walk away, as my mother tells it. So when I hear my dad at this age say things like, well, that's a stupid idea or you shouldn't do that, I'm always quick to remind him, you drove a rototiller home on the back of a Chevy Cruze and dropped it on your wife. Are you sure you have input on this conversation? And... My father is a terrifying person at 72 years old. I promise you, he survived three years in Vietnam. He could kill you where you stand. But he understands now. He doesn't get mad. He just giggles and says, why aren't you a smart aleck? (laughs) And I just remind him from time to time, I will always have that rototiller over his head. Love it. So... As many of you know, the pastor's family, the parsonage family, is a very important part of any church. Um, I've got two cats and a dog, so I have no cred on this. So, Matt, how's the kids? Well, I'll tell you. Lorraine has... She's starting to get more of her own personality every single week. And it's one of the things I love about her. I mean, she is becoming more and more independent, which is good, but it's also, like, it's starting to pull away from her needing daddy to help with things, you know. Um, She can carry her plate from the kitchen. She can carry her own cup and all this. You know, that used to be kind of a thing. Um, like I said, we're in the middle of potty training and she is doing awesome at it. And at first I was, you know, I was kind of helping her with it and things and checking on her and she is doing her own thing now with it. And, you know, she's saying, daddy, I got to go potty and she'll roll out of bed and go over and go do it. And it's like, oh, that's so nice. But I'm thinking, oh, which is a weird thing to get sentimental about, but I'm a dad. I mean, I'm going to get sentimental. The... Probably, I'll probably get sentimental when she stops wanting to eat breakfast with me or something like that. Or, you know, wanting to stop in a mud puddle while holding, or a water puddle uh, holding my hand. When she wants to stop doing that, I'll probably be a basket case. But she is good. I love every single time I get to spend with her. I love every single, uh, just every single moment getting to see her grow up and do things. Um... But, uh, yeah, it's good. she's good. She's very, very good. We lo- I mean, lo- grow. I fall more in love with her and become more wrapped around her little finger every single hour of every single day. In her eyes, she can do no wrong. <laughs> or, let me rephrase, in Daddy's eyes, she can do no wrong. Might be her eyes, too. It could be. Oh, no, it, it's, it's on both sides. So... But the kids are great. How are the the cats and everything doing all right? And Asa and everybody's doing okay? Yeah, Cleo's scratching her ear a little bit again, so we're we're watching that. Um, My cat, Cleo, was screaming every time she scratched her ear about two months ago, so we're keeping an eye on that. 
Nothing crazy. She might have woke up from a crazy dream and mm -hmm. realized something. So we're not too worried about it. Um, but uh, no, Asa got out recently. Um, I was cleaning off the satellite dish when it snowed because it was a very sticky snow. And my satellite got disrupted and nothing makes me angrier than paying $250 for every channel, mm -hmm. every movie ever made. And it doesn't work. <laughs> so, Asa got out that day and took off running. I actually, it's not a big gash, but it's deep. I sliced my wrist real good. I'm trying to stop him. I had a broom in my hand, and I went to kind of stop him. And I hit the ground a little harder than I thought, and it bounced up, and I had a clip on it. Just sliced the daylights out of my wrist. So... Um, he got cold and wet real fast mm -hmm. and came home and, uh, to, uh, let him know how much I appreciated his, uh, antics, I took him for a walk. <laughs> so that's an homage to the great mm -hmm. Ron White there. Um, so not too bad. I'm actually going to call an audible on this. I will drive Matt nuts before this is over with, um, because I like to call audibles. We will talk about. They're the commercials that started the I hate commercials movement. Because I, I do. If you're just joining us, I commercials that don't make sense or commercials that are preposterous drive me insane. I can think of a million of them, you know, where somebody can explain how a drug works and you're pretty sure they've never spend an evening outside of the club and they're sitting around the table boom 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 hey boom boom and they're like oh yeah well if you try new you know nutter butters they'll they'll clean up your acne and they'll clear out your sinuses and they'll get you better resale value on your home and you're like how do you know that <laughs> that doesn't make any sense the one that started it all was the awkward movement there's about five, ten years ago, everything was awkward. And I'm like, D die. Just stop. We will get into that next week because I had one I wanted to touch on because it just got on my nerves this week. Um, have you heard about Colo Garden? Are you familiar I, with Colo Garden? I have heard of Colo Garden. So we yes. started with 23andMe, I think it was, yes. where you could spit in a tube, send it to the internet, and they would tell you you were related to some kind of ancient saint or something. Um, my wife likes to tell people she's related to Thomas More. I don't know that. I don't know if that's a real thing or if they're just creating her avatar. I don't know. I'm not spitting in a tube and sending it to the internet. Bill Burr, holler. But I will tell you, the Colo Guard is where I'm drawing the line. Because essentially what Colo Guard wants you to do, if you're not familiar, is they want you to poop in a box... And send it to them so they can tell you whether you're going to have colon cancer or not. Here's what I'm going to do. If I ever start to have trouble in that part of my life, I'm going to go to my trusted family physician and we will figure it out there. Because mm -hmm. if I'm not spitting in a tube and sending it to the internet, I am not pooping in a box. Okay? It's not going to happen. And the people... People are sitting around a table eating ribs and this Colo Guard mascot pops up on a chair in front of them and goes, have you ever considered pooping in a box and sending it to the internet to find out if your diet is correct? 
or you might get cancer. And the lady's like, I think about it all the time. I lose sleep over it. And I'm like, y'all are eating ribs. I'm, I'm sitting here trying to enjoy my air fried boneless wings. Could you talk about something else? Look, I appreciate the fact that we've become a much more open society. We talk about things that we didn't used to talk about. That's a good thing. I don't want to watch a national television program and hear about poop in a box. Not interested. Could you imagine trying to watch that and eat chocolate pudding at the same time? I don't want to. I, I, I mean, you know it's going to happen. I mean, this country's huge. So, advertise Colo Guard on like a bus in Los Angeles or at a movie theater when you're getting ready to watch a movie. I would, I would laugh hysterically at that. But this week, I was literally sitting some air fried boneless wings. Lauren mixes up some great barbecue sauces. As Matt can attest to, oh, yes. she is a she is great at mixing the flavors. And this guy pops up. Have you ever considered pooping in a box? And I'm like, well, I'm not hungry anymore. <laughs> Let's think about what we're putting on television. You know, I'm I've been giving out a lot of props today. I'm going to give out a prop to the great wrestling manager and podcaster Jim Cornette and saying that look. There's some things I don't need to see on TV. One of them would be Colo Guard's poop in a box. And I know that they never quite say poop in a box, but that's what you're doing. Okay? So if we could put a stop to that, I would appreciate it. If anyone out there's got the connections, please let them know the producers, directors of those commercials, and the company producing them, if they could stop... Pastor Glenn Davis would greatly appreciate it. So we're gonna move into um, we're gonna move into passages that um, liturgists should never read here. Mm. <coughs> so as a pastor, occasionally you have to take a vacation. Um, it's nothing personal. It's just. We, we like day. to get away, just like anybody else. Mm-hmm. If you're a doctor and you've seen 400 hypochondriacs over the last three months, you need to get away. Sure. So, this week, I want to highlight Genesis 5, where we start to see the children of Adam and Eve, outside of Cain and Abel, starting to grow their wings and getting away from the nest and having their own families. Um... So, if you didn't know, the third son of Adam and Eve was Seth. And he has sons and daughters. And one of them was Enosh. And Enosh has Canaan. And Canaan has Mahalalel. I'm shocked I got that off on the first shot there. And Mahalalel... You'll love this one. Mm. Mahalalel has Jared. (laughs) So, we start with Seth. And we end on Jared. We're not even done. (laughs) So Jared has Enoch, and that we got Enoch the third here, or fifth, or whatever. Yeah, there. I got a thing popped up. So Jared, and aside from the fact that you got to pronounce all these names, Jared lives to be like 962, and Enoch, the son of Jared, you'll love this, has Methuselah. Methuselah's grandpa was Jared. <laughs> there you go. 
Methuselah was the longest living one that that we know of. He, it's, it's, he ends up living 969 years. Uh, then there's a Lamech. You don't want to leave this for a liturgist to read because not only do they have to read it, they have to explain it to people. <laughs> um, and it's really hard because there there is a, a, a study, there is a, a real ology to this that there are scholars out there who believe that these words are being misinterpreted, that they may mean something else. Plus, we know for a fact that the Jewish calendar is shorter than the Roman calendar. The, the years they are using could be being interpreted in entirely the wrong way. We're not only talking about not Roman years like we have. It wouldn't even probably be Jewish years. We have no idea how long these guys actually lived. Mm-hmm. We're using sources from pre-Hebrew nation. So the Hebrew nation is not even a thing here. So we're going back to <coughs> a prehistorical time. So did Methuselah live 969 years? Maybe. Is that easy for a liturgist to explain? Heavens no. Don't don't leave him in that situation. <clears throat> and remember, if your name is Jared, you have a biblical name and you probably didn't even know. Congratulations. <laughs> So I've talked plenty over the last few minutes. Matt, I want to hear what is bugging you with the youth of today. Now, if you're not familiar with this topic, um, Matt likes to look at trends at school. Of course, drives a bus, um, works with youth in the community, which, by the way, uh, my condolences, the Tri-Titan season came to a great season. Yes, it was very, very well fought, but, Indianapolis Lutheran is really good, though, so... Uh, for all you Tri fans out there, uh, Principal Scott Widener, great season. Take another run at it next year. Absolutely <clears throat> nothing to be ashamed of. You guys played your hearts out. Absolutely. So, on that topic, Matt notices from time to time stuff that really ticks him off with the youth of today. Or may just flat out confuse him to no end. So, Matt, what are we addressing today? Well, you know, Glenn, I mean, it, it, I'll be honest. It does not take a lot for... It does not take a lot to confuse me. I'm a very simple man of simple tastes, of simple styling even. But there's something that has actually been around a lot longer. It's not necessarily just a trend now. It's actually a trend that's blown up. Friends, if you're listening to this, there's something I don't understand. Skinny jeans. Oh yes, I know. They've been around for years. But I can remember when I was a real young kid, the big thing was like the baggy Jinko jeans. Remember those? The ones that you would literally, like if it rained, it was literally like a Scott paper towel on the bottom of it. Like that, like a good six, eight inches, if not a foot of that denim soaked up that water. Bill for comfort. Pretty much, exactly. But... Over time, and I get trends change, and yes, I am only, I'm not even quite 30 yet, and I understand, this is going to sound like the ramblings of an old man sitting on the porch with a broom. I understand that. Say out of my garbage. I appreciate, I can, and I, I acknowledge that, but yet, I'm still confused by it. Skinny jeans, I can remember when I was in high school, the kids who wore skinny jeans were like the theater kids, the band kids, drama kids, whatever. You know, the kids that, you know, they would wear 
the skinny jeans, and they would wear like a bullet for my Valentine T-shirt. Great or, band. Exactly. Oh, well. that, that's a high quality reference mm. right there, sir. Again, well, and if you remember a couple weeks ago, we mentioned we talked about you know music that's on the pastor's playlist. Bullet for my Valentine is on mine it quite a bit. It's way on mm-hmm. mine. It's a good band. They have great music. Ironically, the song that came out when I was like 16 years old was the song Teenagers. So everybody who is my age, when we were that, when we were 16, they screamed that song because they thought it was a ballad to them. But anyhow, I digress. <coughs> I can remember when I was in school, there was like maybe six, eight, maybe ten kids in the whole school who wore um, skinny jeans. They were typically black. And I was still friends with them. I was friendly to them. I never tried to be a jerk to a lot of people unless you presented it to me and, well, you know, game on, buddy. But uh, for the most part, I mean, it was still kind of a smaller thing. When I came back and I started working for a school, I began to find that skinny jeans have dominated and... Regular pants, apparently, there's a reason why they're stacked up at Walmart. The kids ain't buying them anymore. And here's the thing, and I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, well, Matt, you're a farmer. You're a cattleman. Don't you wear Wranglers? I do. I wear them every day. And they're comfy. Well, aren't they a little tight? Yeah, but they're not, like, tight all the way down to my ankles. You can't count the change. I'm swallowing you. Exactly. I mean, you can't count the change in my pockets, you know. And I just kind of, I don't understand why it's blown up. I mean, and the thing, it's starting to lose a little bit of credibility. And I've noticed this. Because now, it's, it's, it started losing credibility when moms started wearing skinny jeans. And I started laughing about it. Because there's a lot of, you know, gals out there who wear skinny jeans. My hat's off to you. You're Nothing con- will kill a movement quicker than mom and dad do. Mm-hmm. I can remember. I remember. I thought. I thought I was hot stuff when I got an iPhone. You know. I thought, hey, I'm hip. I'm techie. I'm. I'm on top of it. It started to lose a little bit of its luster when my dad, who's in his 60s, got his first one. I'm thinking, mm, I don't know how an Android can't be that bad, can it? <laughs> But, uh, no, I, I, I kid, but, uh, but now I'm starting to notice that, oh, I mean, it's not just necessarily skinny jeans, it's jeans in general. You don't have that happy medium Levi anymore. Mm -hmm. You have either like skin tight skinny jeans, and I'm not necessarily just mentioning this at school. I mean, I'm mentioning this, I see this out in the world, in the population. As I mentioned, I went and saw Green Day a couple months ago. It was a wash of people wearing skinny jeans. Men, women, whoever. But now there's also the trend of kids wearing the stuff that we remember our moms wearing, the mom jeans. They're starting to make a trend and come back. And that is... (sighs) There's a reason why they call them mom jeans, folks. Mm Mm-hmm. So, just keep that in mind. I don't understand what's wrong with a good pair of Levi's. If you're an American, you know, Bruce Springsteen would be proud of you if you wore a good old pair of Levi's. Or if you're 
a Wrangler fan or wherever. Lee, I think they, do they still make Lee jeans? I don't even know. I think they do. So, so out there, I don't understand the trends of jeans. I personally, I wear carpenter jeans every single day, um, pretty much. Um, they're comfortable. They're kind of a little bit more in trend now. The skin, like the tight Wranglers are kind of starting. Those are like what you wear for like nice events and things like that. Or if you rodeo or stuff like that, they're still very popular there. But with me, I'm climbing up on stuff. I'm like... You know, hiking my leg over things and all that. I want to be comfortable in when I'm wearing jeans 10, 12 hours a day. So, I don't understand it. And I get it. People have their own taste. But that doesn't mean that I understand it. Or that it doesn't confuse me. Because it does. And now, we move on to something that we both can understand quite a bit. In other news at Eastern Hancock. We always acknowledge that, you know, the sports teams, um, you know, they are doing, they're doing their own thing. They get the press, but there are things in school that don't quite necessarily get the notification, get the notice that they need, get the press press time they deserve. <coughs> and Glenn, what do you have for us on that this week? Well, I oh oh wait a second, hold on, folks. Oh, hang on, hang on. hold on. I think Matt had one more comment there. <laughs> I'm not that bad yet, although we'll talk about that next week. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love to highlight things going on at Eastern Hancock that nobody's really talking about. Um, there's so many great things that happen at the school. You know, we have a brag board in the elementary where kids can be recognized for things that they do. And I want to talk about there's there's a kid who will remain nameless and genderless. I'm not going to give any insight into who it is. Uh, but I noticed this week, and I noticed the effort, and I made sure this, this child knew that I had noticed and that I appreciated it. Um, the child is, is um, not known for the best behaviors. Um, it's typically um, in and out of the office and in and out of trouble. And... I noticed this week that there was another child who's kind of new to the district who's having some severe problems adapting, not really making any friends, having meltdowns. And this child began to participate in the brain break activities this child was doing in an effort to cheer the other child up and make sure that they knew that they had a friend. And this child tells me from time to time, you know, I wish more new kids would move in here. I can't stand any of the kids that are already here. I wish there were new kids. And I would say, well, I that certainly is one way to look at the world. But, um, you know, I noticed that this child really made an effort to make that other child feel welcome and feel comfortable and to stay calm. And honestly, you know, I don't, you typically wear a ball cap. I got one here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know who you are, buddy? My hat's off to you for showing some growth and showing some compassion in a place where you really didn't have to. I really appreciate that. And things like that go on every day at Eastern mm-hmm. you never hear about. So, well done. So, we're going to move into what's in the uh, pastor's pocket for the upcoming week. I'm preaching Advent. Um, the first Sunday in Advent, for those of you who have never done the Advent thing, maybe you haven't been to church for a while, 
Um, the calendar is set up to where Advent starts the new year. So week of Thanksgiving through the end of the year is the season called Advent, prepping us for the new year. And it's all the Christmas stuff. Well, the first week of Advent is actually about Christ's return, that Christ could come back next year. You know, it's the year of our Lord, Anno Domine. They can try this new common era thing all they want. It's Anno Domini to me, which is the year of our Lord, A.D. 2022. And we talk about Christ's potential return. And I don't look at the return of Christ or the end of times the way a lot of people do, because a lot of people panic and get upset, you know, with wonders and wars and rumors of wars, and they get nervous. You have nothing to be nervous about the return of Christ, judging, of course, that you believe in Christ mm -hmm. and he is your Savior, because why would you be upset that Jesus is returning? Frankly, I'm looking forward to it. Mm -hmm. Jesus' return is something that we should look at with tremendous fervor and with hope because that is the restoration of things the way they should be. No more pain, no more crying, no more hurt. Jesus is back at the center of all things, which is where God was meant to be. So I talk about in my Advent sermon every year to, to begin the season, you know, and this is an idea that was cultivated and developed by my good friend, Dr. Brian Cooper, that I borrow from time to time. <laughs> I proofread some of his stuff. I get a, I get a say-so. <laughs> um, I don't know that I proofread his doctoral project, but uh, he probably owes me. Um, love you, Brian, if you're listening. <laughs> um, so, the idea that we should just be watching for things to go crazy is inaccurate. If you read those passages about Jesus' return, Jesus is always saying, pray, be on watch. Be doing the things you're supposed to do because the master could return at any second. What Jesus wants us to do is he wants us to go out and he wants us to feed the hungry. He wants us to clothe the naked. He wants us to help the widow and to help the orphan to the point that it may not even be noticeable what's going on around us. Because my interpretation is there's always going to be things. You know, World War One, everybody thought that was going to be it. World War Two, everyone thought that was going to be it. Korea, Vietnam, Six-Day War in Israel, Yom Kippur War in Israel, Iraq, 9-11, you know, our most recent issues with Afghanistan. You can always jump to the next thing. But that's why Jesus is so great, because none of that changes the fact that he's coming back. And you need to prepare the harvest for the master to return. So that means we need to be at work for his kingdom. To the point where we will know he's coming back because of how close we are to him. Trust me, if Jesus, if you talk to Jesus every day, you're not going to miss him. So that's what I've got on the docket for this week. Pastor Matt, what's going on over in Strong? Well, I'll tell you, this week, uh, this morning actually... Um, <clears throat> I actually had my first Sunday that I wasn't preaching in the pulpit. Um, it was very, very cool. Um, I was contacted a few weeks ago um, by a gentleman who his mom and dad go to church there and have been members there for a long time. He grew up in that church. And um, <clears throat> they celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary last night. And as a gift to them, he wanted to preach this Sunday 
and all the family was going to show up and everything. And I personally thought um, that it was that's probably one of the coolest gifts that you can give to your mom and dad is proclaiming the na- word of God to not only your family but to the rest of the body of Christ there. Um, so it was very nice, kind of, you know, gave me this week to kind of formulate what I'm going to talk about, um, going into the holiday season, as well as, um, formulate what I'm going to write this coming week. And I had, I keep going back and forth between either talking about what exactly we, um, you know, why, why we give thanks, why we, um, you know, kind of examine, (coughs) the whole Thanksgiving, you know, and we're, you know, it it is said that we should um, enter his gates with Thanksgiving in our heart. Um, So that was one thing I've thought about. And the other is one, it's kind of a, not really a continuation, but it's kind of a re-examination. As you know, a couple weeks ago, I preached on egos in the church. Um, And it's kind of a further on of talking about you know, people have stepped away from the church. People have been hurt by the church. And, you know, people, like we mentioned earlier, people get mad at the church. And there, I have seen a couple times where people have walked out of the sermon saying, well, I don't know what that preacher's talking about. And starting to examine, well, are you mad because he said something that legitimately did does deserve to be met, you know, for you to be mad at, or is it because what God put on his heart touched yours in a way that caused you to reevaluate a few things and you don't like what what's shaping up to be. You don't like the fact that, um, you know, God calls for us to, I, I hate talking about money. If you ever hear me preach or anything, I can guarantee you out of 50 51 weeks, 52 weeks, if I take a week off, whatever, might be 50, um, you will never hear me preach about money. If people ask me about it, I say, God calls for us to be cheerful givers. If you want to see the church continue to do great things, give what you, it's between you, you and God what you want to give. That's just the way I put it. Um, <clears throat> but uh, if if you hear a sermon and we say, God loves a cheerful giver, and you say, well, I, I tithe my 10%, I give that, but he puts it on your heart to examine, say, you know, he's kind of been tugging at you, why don't you start a ministry, you know, you can start a ministry team there, or you can start another Sunday school, or whatever, and it's kind of ironic, we talked about that earlier today, but, um, earlier in the podcast, I should say, but kind of re-examining this, and... Hopefully, I mean, if you want to tune in, both of our services are streamed live on Facebook. If you want, you can either look up Willow Branch UMC on Facebook or Strong Community Chapel on Facebook. We both have pages um, as well. You can also find us, you know, Glenn Davis on Facebook or Matt Heath on Facebook as well. I mean, plus our church, Mark Smoot, opens. Mm. So, I mean... Get you a little smoothie in your life. Uh, there you go. I'll tell you what. I have, I've preached a sermon at... at uh, Willow Branch, I was gracious enough to get that opportunity, and let me tell you something, that is an experience in all of itself. It is. But, um, you know, if you hear, I mean, if you hear this, if you hear that, hear, hear that message, and it makes you mad or anything, that's, 
well, okay, that, it makes you mad. But examine why it makes you mad. Is it because what I'm saying is completely crazy, off the wall? I try not to get that, you know, far off the rails. It happens from time to time. As you know, you can, I mean, you can probably agree with me on that. You get on a, on a little side street and you keep going down that path, whatever. But, um, but if you hear a message and, and, and if, you are in, if you're a regular church attender and you hear a sermon that you walk away from and you're like, I don't know, somebody's probably trying to tell you something. If you take issue with what's being said, I encourage you to look and see what, why it's bothering you and truly re-examine that. And the more I talk about it, the more I think that's what I'm probably going to preach on this week. Um, so that is, um, that's what's in my pocket this week. I haven't really fleshed it out yet or anything, but, uh, that's the reason why we have a week to write a sermon, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. And this, this past week, I'll tell you what, you don't really think about it too much because as Glenn and I have mentioned, we're both bivocational pastors. Um, so, you know, we don't necessarily have office hours as such, but we do, we put a lot of time into our planning. We put a lot of time into writing and, you know, studying scripture and things like that. And um, it is nice to kind of step back for a week and say, you know what? I think I'm just going to take it this week and enjoy myself a little bit. I myself, I, uh, <laughs> I kind of caught up on some documentaries. I know. I'm a thrill a minute, let me tell you. But there's actually a documentary series on CNN. Don't hold it against me. Um, all I won't even go into that um, on this because we have a hard and fast rule. We never really talk about politics unless it's something that pertains to what we're talking about or making a joke, one of the two. But there's a documentary series on there about the decades. And I watched the one on the 90s and the 2000s because... Even though I grew up in that time frame, I was a kid. So now I'm kind of getting to go back and look and see why the things that I went through were the way they were. And it's very, very cool. Um, check it out if you if you have, I think it's on, I think it's on HBO Max, um, if you have that service. Um, go and give it a watch um, if you grew up in that, or if you're a younger kid and you don't understand why you know the world is the way it is now. Go back and watch that. Um, there's one on the de- development of the iPhone and how it changed the world. Um, they're in separate episodes. So um, I encourage you guys to go back, you know, encourage you to do that if you got the time. <clears throat> well, folks, as with all things, this must come to an end. You know, each week we, we hope that if you listen to us, if you... Um, if you happen to find us or somebody sends it to it to you or something like that, we ask you watch that you listen to this with an with an honest heart or with an honest um how do I put this with an open heart and a uh, there we go. Uh, I didn't even preach and I'm still running out of my words. Um, and uh, just kind of reevaluate, kind of look and see, you know, what's holding you back from maybe this is your church. Maybe this is your church service. You know, we do talk a lot about you know Christianity and you know with with the way religion is and things, 
and we try to invoke that a little bit, um, but also kind of create a safe place for you to do that in. And I know people go back and forth about, you know, safe spaces and everything. Every once in a while you kind of need one. You need that sanctuary. You need that time. And, uh, you know, it, it's one of those things that you really just, um, when you find something that works for you, stick with it. Keep going. And if you don't, as Glenn said, move on. You'll find something that works for you. And... Um, I just really hope that you, as a listener out there, that you uh, find this, you laugh with us, you cry with us. Um, <clears throat> maybe you just, maybe there's something that you didn't even think of um, until we mentioned it. And we're trying, we're not trying to take credit for anything on this. This is literally just us sitting around and we're basically recording our normal conversations as it was anyhow. <coughs> and, but. We want to invite you guys into that because, like I said, I know a lot of people have been hurt by the church. I know a lot of people have been scared off by the church. And if this little, silly little podcast brings you back closer to the bride of Christ and to the body of Christ, then I think what we're doing here is, that is I think we're doing something right. So um, we encourage you, as Glenn said also, engage with us on our Facebook page. We you know, type in two guys who happen to be pastors and <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, interact with us. Post on our page. You know, if you want to hear our opinion on things, if you want us to talk about certain things, whatever, we'll be happy to. You know, we, we always try to have good quality content on here. But if you have a question about something, I mean, we'll be happy to talk about it on here and kind of share our experiences, our the knowledge that maybe we have or our viewpoint or whatever. Um, so we encourage you head on over there if you're looking for a podcast. If you're uh, if you find this on Facebook or anything, we are on uh, the platforms we are on. We are on uh, SoundCloud. We are on Spotify, and we are on a podcast hosting site called Spreaker with an R, and uh, we're still actually waiting to hear back from Apple on theirs, because apparently there was an issue with the logo that we chose. So, um, we encourage you, get you know, give us a follow. We're going to get a lot deeper. We're going to keep going as long as people, even if we only have two people listen to us every single week, that's two people more than we had, and hopefully um, we'll touch on something that you like, something that you laugh about, and Truly, uh, truly, kind of bring you back a little bit closer and to reintroduce you to uh, salvation through Jesus. And Glenn, why don't you take us on out this week? Well, I can do that. Um, give you the priestly blessing from Numbers uh, six. It goes something like this: it "says Lord bless you and keep you, make His face shine upon you." May he lift his grace to you and give you peace. Uh, we always want you to walk away from this feeling better about yourself, better about the world, better about your pastoral situation or your church situation. Uh, it's not our goal to come on here and burden anyone. Mm -hmm. Just to remind you that um, 
you know, a little humility, a little humor, and a little perspective can make the world seem like a little better place. So we hope you've had fun with us. I know we had a blast putting this one together. Um, we got into some deep truth holes today. Uh, um, I don't necessarily want you to ignore Colo Guard. I just don't want them on my TV. Um, but regardless, uh, good night, Lindy and Kessid. Good morning, Vladivostok, where the time is. I'll flip over. See, 15 hours ahead, so where the time is 10.56 a.m. Night, everybody. Have a pleasant week.